You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. You know, to be human is to worship. Every single human being who has ever been created or who will ever be created is created to worship. The Bible says in Psalm 150 verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, when it comes to worship, it's just a little confusing to a lot of people. You know, we uh, grow up in church and, you know, we, we experience uh, these thoughts when we hear that word worship. We immediately think of church. We immediately think of Sunday. We, we think of stained glass windows. We think of, you know, organs and pianos and singing and those kinds of things. And, and uh, that naturally kind of comes to my, our mind. And, and some people actually think that the, the worship portion of what we do on Sundays is simply the, the music portion. And so it seemed like when I was growing up in church, we always had music battles. You know, some people wanted to, to, to sing hymns and thought that was the only way to really worship God. And some people wanted choruses and thought that was the only way to worship God. Some people wanted guitars and bands and other people just wanted organs and pianos and people literally fought about it. Um, and there were some people who, as we sang, they you know, wanted to engage and wanted to raise their hands as they sang and wanted to, you know, get, get really connected to God. And then they thought, well, I can't really do that because then my friends will think I'm crazy. They'll think I'm, you know, charismatic and just not going to do that. So we would, we would just be stoic and we would just kind of keep it together. And, and then as time went on and our relationship with God grew, we, we sang these powerful lyrics and we thought, man, I just want to lift my hands in freedom and just worship God and thought that would be a good response to him. And so we would, we would feel that and some people would kind of let their hands raise up and then they go, oh, no, I can't do that, I can't do that. And keep going and and then one day they, they felt the boldness and they said, I don't care what anybody says or thinks, I'm going to worship freely today. And so they started to raise their hands. They said, I can't do two, I'll just start with one. You know, people were looking and, and the energy came and they got nervous and they pulled it down. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they felt like this was the moment, this was the time they were connecting with Jesus. And they raised it up and they put it back down. And we didn't know if you were worshiping Jesus or became a Nazi. We didn't know. We saw a hand fly up and we saw it come down. And, you know, all of those were like real issues, uh, you know, growing up in church. And, and uh, now it seems like some of that's worked out. And uh, I, I think we, we, we think back to those days. And, and uh, the truth is all those music wars didn't, uh, it, it was really all in the name of worship. But it didn't really have anything to do with worship. Well, in fact, it it had everything to do with worship when you think about it, because those that would fight over this style or that style, this preference or that preference, really, really kind of, kind of play their cards. You really kind of realize that, okay, well, in in that moment when I'm fighting for their guitar, from fighting for a not guitar, what we're, what we're actually realizing is that we're, we're allowing our preference to rule our heart. And music is really... I mean, preferences are, of music is just about what you like. You're going to like what I like. Some of you don't like what I like. And I was listening to Johnny Cash in the car this week, and I like Johnny Cash. My kids don't necessarily like Johnny Cash. And so it's just about preference, right? And uh, when it comes to music, we get so caught up in a worship war mentality, uh, and we lose sight of what worship really is all about. See, as religious people, we like to compartmentalize our life. 
We like to kind of put our life in various buckets and, and, and we like to live out of those buckets. For instance, you know, I've talked about this before. I hope it begins to click, but we've got a worship uh, bucket and so that's what we do on Sunday. And, and, and then we've got a work bucket and then we've got a family bucket and then we've got a hobby bucket. You probably have other buckets, but you know, when you go to work and you're in that work bucket, you talk about work stuff and you deal with work stuff and you don't really bring you know, a lot of family and you definitely don't bring spiritual conversations into the work bucket. You keep that separated. And then you step into your family bucket and you're a dad or a mom and you take your kids here and you take your kids there and you don't really bring in the worship or the, you don't really bring in the spiritual conversations in the family bucket. You just kind of do family stuff and, and uh, you don't really talk about work because you're in the family bucket. You talk about work at work and you do family stuff when you're in the family bucket. And then you step into like the hobby bucket, and when you step into the hobby bucket, it's like your language sometimes changes, and, and uh, you don't really want people at work to know what you're talking about when you talk about things in the hobby bucket, right? You want to keep that separate, and you, you definitely don't want people at church to know what you're talking about in the hobby bucket. And then on Sundays, you kind of step into the worship bucket, and now I'm here to worship, and now I'm, I'm doing the worship thing, and I'm connecting with God, as if worship is separated from all the other buckets of our life, and and, and, and so in this series, we want to help you realize that that's not how life works. I realize that that's how religious people tend to live their life. We tend to live our life as if we are this kind of person at work or maybe school if you're a student. And then we're this kind of person at home. And then we're this kind of person. We dress this way and talk this way and look this way when we're at church. And we treat God as if he's up in God tapping his foot, wondering if we're going to show up at church today to worship him. But that is Definitely not the case. What happens, though, when we live life as, as if we have these different compartments, these different buckets in our life, is, is we separate worship from all aspects of life. And so it's why some of you can create uh, fake social media accounts. And on one social media account, you can present yourself as this person with this picture and these statements. And then on this secondary social media account, you say this and you post this, and it's completely different. It's why maybe there's a man in the, in the room who can live in the family bucket and act a certain way, and even in church act a certain way, look a certain way, but then at the same time be in an adulterous relationship with another woman. How can he do this? Well, he's done an effective job at justifying his sin by breaking up life into buckets so that I act this way at church and I can do this at home. And he's very good at justifying his worship of self and his worship of pleasure. He's created his own God, and his own God convinces him that it's okay to abandon my wife. It's okay to abandon my children. When you live life in buckets, you separate worship from other parts of your life, then when you approach God, it's all screwed up. Your view of God is all messed up. It's all totally off. And so you approach God on your terms, most likely only when you need him. And then worship becomes a part of life instead of all of life. Because worship is not a bucket in my life. It's not a bucket in your life. Worship is your life. In this series, I want to answer some really hard questions. Things like, what is worship? I want to talk about how God has told us to worship him. I want to talk about what happens when you don't worship God correctly. And then I want us to examine our own personal worship. And hopefully as we do this, we'll examine God and, and have a bigger picture of who he is. Ultimately, my goal through this series for five more weeks, today 
in five more weeks is that your worship of God would increase. That those of you that don't engage all of life as worship would begin to view all of life as worship and begin to view all of your life as a response to God. That you would not just see the time that we sing together as worship, but that you would engage the sermon as a part of your worship, that you would engage the giving as a part of your worship, that yes, when we do sing, that those of you who don't sing would begin to engage in actually singing. Those of you who don't have freedom to kneel down and pray in your seat or to lift your hands as we sing, that you would break free from that and begin to worship God in those ways. Some of you that don't have a, a private time of worship regularly in your life. There's not a time you know, regularly in your day where you read the scripture or you pray to God. That would be your personal, private prayer. You're not listening to worship music. You're not bowing down in your home. You're not praying to God on your own. I, my goal through this series is that we would see value in that and as an act of worship. And ultimately, we would begin to see not life in buckets, not life compartmentalized, but that we would see all of life as an act of worship. That it is impossible to separate your worship into those areas of your life. It is not the way that we are created. And so we would, we would turn our dinner time into an act of worship. That we would turn our conversations at a coffee shop into an act of worship. We would turn work into true worship that you would even tuck your kids in bed at night as an act of worship, that you would embrace your loved ones with a hug and a kiss as an act of worship, and that we would definitely walk into this place corporately with our hearts in tune with the living God as an act of worship and praise, because everyone worships, but not everyone worships truly. Worship is what humans do every day, all day. I'm not starting uh, this series with ways to worship better, because everyone on earth is created to worship, to be humanist to worship, and everything that you and I do in some way is an act of worship to someone or to something, because worship is the craving of the human heart. God gave us that craving, that desire some of you walk in here today with kind of a hole in your heart. You don't really feel like there is meaning in your life. You put your hope in other things apart from God. And it is that craving, it is that emptiness that you feel today that God specifically put there. And it is that desire to find something valuable and worthy to worship and to give your life to. But in the midst of finding the one true God, each and every one of us have taken a turn at bowing, bowing down and serving a false God. Each of us live in the service of something. Each of us give our hearts either to God or to something else. You don't have to get better at worship. You and I are great at worship. And so I start this series not by saying that you, the, the quality of your worship needs to get better. No, it's the object of your worship that needs to get better. Worship is not just what Christians do. It's not just what religious people do. It's what all people do. Everyone on planet earth is living a lifestyle of worship. In fact, in Acts 17, Paul gives us a great example of this. He, he goes to a city of Athens. When he gets there, he sees hundreds of idols that have been created. 
that all of these philosophers and religious people were worshiping and bowing down to. They even created an idol and named it the unknown God. And Paul steps on the scene and he says, I can see that you are very religious. I can see that you want to worship. I can see that you are a worshiper, but this God that you name unknown, I want to proclaim to you as known through Jesus Christ. You see, no matter where you live or who you are, you have found objects of worship. We find people, we find things to dedicate our life to, to focus on and live for. And so some of you, if you were honest, you would say that you worship a particular athlete. Some of you worship a football team. Some of you worship a movie star. We worship famous entertainers and singers. We worship even our own children. We worship our appearance. We worship pleasure. We worship that feeling that we get when we break a record of likes on Instagram, right? We find something of value. We cling to it, and it gives us hope, and it gives us meaning. And so I want you to leave today not saying that I need to be a better worshiper. I want you to leave today saying, I am a worshiper. I don't even want you to leave saying that you worship. I want you to leave saying, I am a worshiper. It's not just something that you do, in other words. It is something that you are. And so I want us to get away from saying we're going to go to church to worship and begin to understand that every aspect of your life, every second of the day, is an opportunity and lifestyle of worship. And so we come to church worshiping something. In this room right now, we're worshiping something, and we will leave today worshiping that thing that we value most in our life. So, what is worship? What is worship? Well, to describe worship is kind of like describing love. We can all describe it. We, could all, we, we all know what it is, but it's really hard to describe it in one sentence, to give it a definition. And that's kind of how worship is. And so today's kind of the introductory to this whole series. And so um, I'm glad you're here. You got to come back next week so that it all kind of makes sense. And, and uh, we, we kind of open up the idea of what, what it is. And I want to describe it today and really for the next five weeks describe what it is. But the English word worship literally means to attribute worth. It means worth-ship. And so we attribute worth to God, to something, and we value that something. And so we are to give God the glory, the praise that he deserves. But even this idea isn't good enough because it leaves open the possibility that people make their own assessments of God's value. Like I have a right, or like I am capable to actually put a value on who God is. And it also falls short because it also puts on our plate the ability to respond to God in ways that we think are appropriate. So it is, it, is, it is not enough for us to say, okay, this is how valuable God is, and so this is what is appropriate. I am not classified. I'm not worthy to be able to explain that, but we live our life as if we are. The Hebrew word, you know, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Hebrew word and, and Greek word for worship very similar, and they simply mean to prostrate oneself before a superior. So literally, if you were to worship a king, you would bow your knee or get on both knees. And literally, in a lot of cases when this word is used, it means that they are kissing the ground this person is walking on, kissing their feet, kissing their hand. And so that is a physical act. And so in the, in the scriptures, we see 
that worship is always physical. It's always movement. It's always doing something that you would, you would give to and honor someone that you value. It's something we're doing. Worship is when we set our heart on something and we go after it. It wakes us up in the morning. It gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. And so therefore, we give our time to it. We give our energy to it. We give our talents to it. We give money to it. And this is is what it means to begin to discover what it is that we actually worship. And so let me ask you, what do you worship? What do you worship today? Maybe a better question that helps us get to that point is, what rules your heart? What rules your heart today? Think about it. Because what rules my heart determines my behavior. What rules your heart today is what is determining what your behavior is this morning. So let's think about it. Why do you do the things that you do? Let's think about our kids for a minute because it's easy to point the finger at them and look at them for a second, right? So why do your kids fight all the time? Why can't they get along with each other? Hmm, think about it. Why is it that there are some, some teenagers in the room who are obsessed with how they look and so they spend hours upon hours you know, in their bathroom getting ready. Why is it that some women have to dress provocatively and show certain parts of their body uh, to, to, to get approval? Or why, why do they do such a thing? Why do some of you gamble on every football game in the fall? Why do some of you get drunk on a regular basis? Well, I'll tell you why. The answer is rooted in what you worship. What has captivated your heart? For some of you, it's pleasure. For some of you, it's your own selfish desires. But when we think about the answer to those questions, we begin to understand why we do the things that we do, why we're making the decisions that we're making, what rules your heart. Let me explain it like this. I remember taking my kids to whatever store, because every store has this. You know, you go, you go to the grocery store or wherever, you, you buy a few things, and then you go to the checkout counter. And when you get to the checkout counter, there is the aisle of hell that has bubble gum. Toys are going to break before you go home, and every stupid magazine created, right? And so you walk to that aisle, and, and you could have bought, you know, your kids the greatest dessert. Let's just say, you know, the, a, a pack of popsicles, you know, it's summertime. Their favorite popsicle, you bought a whole box of them. And they're excited, and they're so pumped to get home and eat those. But you get in line, and you go through the aisle of hell, and you real, they realize that there's something missing in their life. And what's missing in their life, as they look at all of these things around them, is, is a ring pop. Now, I'm a ring pop fan. I, I get it. I love them. But if I've got a whole box of popsicles, and I'm going to give it to my kid— and then he sees the ring pop, or she, ring pop, and she, or she sees it, and, and now some, somewhere in their heart, they're not satisfied. They got to have the ring pop. And so they say, Daddy, Mommy, can I please have a ring pop? And, and, and you would say, I'm sorry, honey, we, you, you, can't, you don't need a ring pop because we got this whole thing of popsicles, and you're going to go home, and you're going to enjoy that. So aren't you happy with the popsicles? And, and your, your, your son is going to say, no, I'm not. I want a ring pop. And he'll say things like, if you will give me this ring pop, I promise I will never, ever, ever ask you for another thing in the history of my life if you will please give me this ring pop, right? And you will be strong and you will say, no, honey, you are not getting a ring pop. I've got a whole box of popsicles. 
And then he will proceed to throw a tantrum. And he will embarrass you in front of all of these people. And you'll want to crawl under the, 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 the box of ring pops and hide from everybody, right? And they will embarrass you. Why? Why does this little three and four-year-old boy, why is he not satisfied with the box of popsicles? Why does he have to have more? You could, you could buy a, you, this box of popsicles. You could do this, and he would still not be happy. He would still not be satisfied. Why does he throw a fit? Well, the answer is rooted in what he worships. You see, for this little four-year-old boy, he wants to take the place of God already. He wants to stand in the middle of his world, and he wants everything the way that he wants it when he wants it. He doesn't want you to ever say no to him. He doesn't want you to say no. He doesn't want you to stand in his way. He instinctively, you don't have to teach him this. He instinctively puts himself in God's position and he instinctively makes life all about him. He doesn't just have a problem with you being authority in his life. He has a problem with God being an authority in his life because the heart of hearts of his little three and four-year-old heart, he wants to be God. It's all about his worship. Who would have thought that paying for groceries at the end of the counter line here would be the epicenter of passionate, emotional worship? <laughs> as this four-year-old has a little breakdown and worships himself. It's the reason why some of you spend this ridiculous amount of time in the bathroom to get ready to make yourself look perfect. It's why this teenage girl or maybe an older woman would dress provocatively. It's, it's why she would desire to show off body parts. It's, it's why she complains about how she looks on a regular basis. The problem is way deeper than just materialism or she's vain. It's deeper than you're worried about what people think about you. All of this happens because at a deeper level, she is broken by sin and she worships the wrong God. She's looking for purpose and meaning. She's looking for hope and strength. She's looking for identity, not in her God, but in how she looks. She seeks compliments from other people. She likes it when people look at her. She finds strength in that. She gets up the next day to see the next guy who will hit on her or the next guy that will stare at her. Who would have thought that the best place for worship in town would have been your teenager's bathroom. But every single morning, she worships loud and proud and with all of her heart. We create temporary idols that satisfy temporary feelings. It's the ring pop that satisfies a temporary feeling for a four-year-old, just like a sexual encounter will satisfy the temporary feelings of a 40-year-old man. The temporary feeling of acceptance a teenage girl feels when someone compliments her outfit is temporary. She will crave more compliments and more attention to satisfy that craving in her heart. She's attached her identity, not to God, but to how she looks. And the more she lacks meaning and the more she lacks purpose, the more she will try to look a certain way and give her body to certain people to make her feel like she is valuable. Every single day of my life, 
every single day of your life, there is a war over your worship. Who will you bow down to? What will you give your heart to? And every decision that you make, not in the buckets of our life, but every single area of your life is a battleground for your worship. So what rules your heart? What rules your heart today? You can't get your kids to behave godly until you address what's ruling their heart. You can't change your own behavior until you address what's ruling your heart. There's a reason why you can't manage your money well. Something is ruling your heart. There's a reason why you can't quit drinking. Something is ruling your heart. There's a reason why you can't stop gossiping. You've dedicated yourself, your voice, your life to a false God. And here's the reality. God is after your heart. He's not after your money. He's not out to destroy your, your life. He's after your heart because he knows that this, this desire to worship is a desire to find him. And he knows that as, as we seek to worship all of these idols, we're going to find that they satisfy temporary feelings, but they don't satisfy the longings of our souls. So we go on this journey of, of all of this sin in our life, going on vacations, through relationships, through power, through control, through gossip. We create all of these false gods in our life that we give so much energy to, we think about so much, we give time to. And as we do that, it kind of self-medicates this hole in my heart, and it makes me feel good for this week, but then I feel bad, and so I got to do something else. And some of you would say, I'm not a drug addict, I've never been a drug addict, but you're addicted to drama. Some of you are addicted to vacations. You're addicted to social media. Why? Because you got to get your next quick fix. I've often heard it said that the first thing that an alcoholic wakes up and reaches for is what? Anybody want to guess? A drink, yeah. What's the first thing you reach for in the morning? Could it be your phone? Oh, I'm not addicted to my phone. Oh, did how many likes did I get today? I mean, notifications. What's the first thing you reach for? Is it the word of God? Is it a phone? I don't, is it, is, I don't know. I think when we think back, we understand that God is after our heart, and it begins to make sense why Jesus said in verse, chapter 4, verse 23 of John, he says, the time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, we're going to unpack that over the next several weeks, but they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So, so God himself is seeking after worshipers today who would worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, he's on a rescue mission to save your heart from, from the sin that you're bowing down to today, from the false gods that you are worshiping today. So he wants to rescue you from false worship so that you would see him as the ultimate thing to satisfy you in this life. And that's exactly what the Israelites always faced. If you have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 22. In Exodus 22, we see the, the, the picture of kind of where the Israelites are right before Moses comes down from the mountain of God where he hears from God. And just a quick recap if you don't know the story, but 
The Israelites were in captivity. They were in slavery for over some 800 years to Pharaoh and, and uh, in Egypt. And they were praying to God that God would bring them from captivity. And so finally God sends Moses. And you remember, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And so he doesn't. And then the, the plagues come and finally Pharaoh lets them go. And the Israelites leave. And then they walk over the, the, the dry ground through the Red Sea. And God provides for them with manna from heaven. And, and uh, you know all the miracles. You know all the stories. And so they go into the wilderness. They're in the desert now. And they're waiting for what's next. And Moses says, I want you guys to wait here I'm going to go to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to meet with God. He's going to speak to me, and I'm going to come down, and I'm going to give you direction. And so we find in Exodus chapter 32 what happens while Moses is on top of the mountain meeting with God. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, little g, gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play or to party. Now, what, what's happening here? Moses is, is on top of the mountain, meeting with God. He's giving him the ten words or the ten commandments. Do you remember the first two? The first one is, do not have any gods before me. And the second one is, do not make for yourself a carved image. So the first one deals with worshiping the wrong God. And the second one deals with worshiping the right God in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Worship the right God and also worship the right God in the right way. Don't worship the right God in the wrong way. And so as Moses is with God, the people are taking off their earrings and melting it down, and they're creating this image of a calf. And this is the idol that they begin to worship. Now, let's look at it. It's it's mind-boggling. After all the miracles that they had just seen days earlier, now Moses is gone. And in verse 1, it says Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain. In other words, God wasn't answering them as quickly as they wanted God to answer them. Has that ever happened to you? Hey, God, my marriage is, <laughs> is messed up. I need you to change this ASAP right? God, you got to change this and change this, and I need manna from heaven to fall down and blow up my husband's mind and change him and the glory of Jesus, and you got people praying, and then all of a sudden, oh, delayed. God's not answering like I want him to. When I want him to, divorce papers. 
Or, God, I just need help. I, God, I, I just need purpose. I just need meaning. I, I just need friends that are godly. And, God, I just need this. And please give me this. And please change this. And I don't want to drink anymore. And I don't want to go to parties anymore. And I don't want to go out anymore. And I'm going to do this, God. And you got to do it. You got to do it. Doesn't do it. Up. Back to the club. Give me a drink. Let me get drunk again. Right? We, we are impatient. Let's just be honest. We can always look at the Israelites and give them a hard time, but we find ourselves in their shoes on a daily basis. God didn't respond the way that they wanted, when they wanted it, and so they decided to serve another God. And so they melt down their gold earrings and they create this golden calf. And notice what it says in verse 2. It says, make us gods who shall go before us. Who shall go before us? Who shall provide for us? Who shall protect us? Who shall lead us and show us the way? I love also how it says in verse, uh, let's see, verse 4. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, this golden calf that we just created brought us up out of slavery. (laughs) What? How quickly they forgot the hand of God in their life. Now, granted, this is an invisible God. They didn't have the scriptures. They, they didn't have the, you know, what we would call, you know, God's word written to us. And so this invisible God wasn't enough for them. Moses' promises of God's going to speak to us and show us the way wasn't enough. And so they create these idols. And what's interesting in verse 5, tomorrow he says, we're going we're gonna to have a feast for the Lord. And they end up having a drunken orgy party, essentially what that Hebrew word describes. So we're going to serve the Lord, capital L, the Lord, talking about God. We've created a God, but we're going to use this God to worship our God, okay? Again, first commandment, right? Don't worship the wrong God. Second commandment, don't worship the right God in the wrong way. And they've already messed up, number one, and Number two, see, they're impatient. We've been impatient. They run after another God that they thought would satisfy that temporary feeling. And I'm sure that party satisfied some temporary feelings in their life. It felt good. They felt free. They felt alive that night. But very quickly, that feeling leaves them because in the same chapter, you can go home and read it, God judges them. God judges them for their false worship for the worship of this idol. And I love what Moses does when he comes down the mountain. He discovers what has taken place. First of all, he's mad at Aaron. What are you doing, Aaron? Why'd you let them do this? And and Aaron's like, man, they're out of control. I didn't know what to do. So Moses says, I'll show you what to do. So he picks up this this calf and he melts it down. And he, he, he melts it down in such a way over the fire that it burns into ashes. He doesn't just melt it down and make you know, anything, uh, let's make some more earrings. I could use a bracelet. He, doesn't do, he melts it down into ashes and he takes the ashes and he pours it into the water. And he says, now I want all you guys to drink the water. Drink the ashy water. <laughs> what, what a visual reminder, right? To, to burn your idol to ashes, pour it in water, and now I want you to drink it. Just so you know that anything that you create is nothing. Anything this world that, that you think holds value, that is going to bring you meaning, purpose, life, identity, it's nothing. 
You can burn it down. You can throw it in the water. You can drink it. It's never going to satisfy. Some of you are here today, and you would admit that your worship is not where it needs to be. You come in here today feeling like there is something missing in your life. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Genesis 3 real quick. Genesis 3 tells us that the, the, the first thing Adam and Eve felt after they sinned was a feeling that they were missing something. You remember what they were missing? Anybody? Anybody? Their clothes. <laughs> they felt like they were missing something. Like, oh, dude, I'm naked. I need some, <laughs> I need some clothes, right? I mean, imagine that if you were a sleepwalker. I have a couple of kids that like to sleepwalk. And can you imagine, like, if you were a sleepwalker and you, you know, got up in the middle of the night, you're dead asleep, you're walking, you find yourself as you wake up naked in Waffle House? Say, Trent, where do you get that story? I don't know. But let's just imagine it happened. What would you do? You'd be grabbing for some menus to cover your naked parts, right? (laughs) And some of you would order some waffles to go. But The point is, you would do exactly what they did, and that was cover themselves. They found some leaves, they sewed them together, and they covered themselves. St. Augustine writes that before their sin, they felt clothed in the love and acceptance of God. But when sin broke their relationship with God, they realized that something was missing. Some of you are here today, and you have realized that something is missing. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were missing something now. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. How do you react when you feel like something is missing? Well, you cover yourself. Genesis 3 shows us the first act of false worship recorded in the Bible. Adam trusted in himself more than he trusted in God's plan. He was trying to meet a temporary feeling. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be in control. And sin entered the world and separated us from our Creator. Changed everything. Adam's, Adam and Eve's response is exactly what we do. Our souls feel naked. Life becomes a search for finding that thing that's going to cover that. That thing, that relationship, that possession, that achievement that will clothe us and make us not feel naked and in fact make us feel significant, make us feel happy. And we search for hope and fig leaves, the fig leaves of a family, of power, of approval, of comfort, achievement, control. And while we seek to fill that void, that nakedness with created things instead of our creator, we we put our hope in false gods. We put our hope in drugs in the way that they make us feel. We put our hope in spouses that, that we think should make us feel differently, but it's impossible for them to do so. We put our hope in traveling and, and, and seeing the world and going on vacation because we were able to to step out of reality and experience something different and it's relaxing and many of us experience that this summer and the reality is it feels great but then Monday's coming and we're back to the reality of where our life is actually at. Some of you 
put your hope in trying simply to find happiness. Your hope is in the next sexual encounter. But every single thing that we seek to worship to bring us that satisfaction, it is a temporary fix on an eternal problem. And we've got to realize that as we seek to fill that void, to take up and cover that nakedness, nothing in this world, nothing that you will try, nothing that you put your hope in will ultimately satisfy you. Your only hope is in Jesus. Your only hope to overcome any addiction is Jesus. Your only hope to finally accept your body for what it looks like is Jesus. Your only hope to truly feel like a man of God is in Jesus. Your only hope to truly feel like you are somebody in this world is through Jesus. And I wonder today if some of you would say, and just be honest and say, my hope is in all of these things that you've mentioned today, Trent. My hope is scattered to the winds, bro. My, my hope is in anything and everything that gets me through the next hour, gets me through the next day. Some of you have put your hope in a decision or an experience that was religious years ago, but you, if you were honest, you, you, are, you are not worshiping Jesus with all of your heart today. He is just a bucket that you are trying to fill today. It's a box you're trying to check. And my prayer is that God changes your life through this series. That he would open up the eyes of your heart. You would take off the blinders and you would finally see what it is that you have been looking for your entire life. And that is Jesus. He's your only hope. He's my only hope. And he gets me up every day and gives my feet a path to walk. And without him, I'm nothing. Here's the takeaway today. Here's what I want to ask everybody to do. Here's your homework. You can do this privately. You can do this with a friend or a spouse. Go home today. Get your notebook out or journal or whatever you take notes in, an app in your phone. And start to write down anything that would come to your mind that you would say is ruling your heart today. Just be honest with yourself. It's not, I'm not going to ask you to turn it in next week. We're not talking about it. But just write it down and, just, and just, just let every, just ask God, God, just in this moment, open up my heart for what's ruling my heart. Say that prayer, say those words, and then just start writing down anything that comes to your mind. Write it all down, get it all out. Get it all out, and after a few minutes, just stop and look at it. See what you wrote. Start to look at it. Perhaps you'll write your kids. Perhaps you'll write achievement. Perhaps you'll write success. Perhaps you'll write riches. Perhaps you'll write alcohol, drugs, whatever it is that, that you've set your heart upon. The thing that you're giving the most money towards, the thing that you're giving the most time towards, the thing that you're giving the most energy towards, the thing that you're giving your talents towards. Perhaps some of you, after writing down several things, will finally just put your own name down. Because at the center of your heart today, what is ruling your heart is what you want, not what God wants, not what God is calling you to. If you'll be honest with yourself and you'll have a moment of, of authenticity with God, it could lead you to a life-changing experience. 
in a moment of true worship. Because everybody worships, but not everybody worships truly. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would in fact open up the eyes of our heart. For some of us in here today, God, we know the false gods that we are worshiping and our pride and our evil selfishness just keeps taking us back, keeps taking us back to that darkness, to that sin. God, open up our hearts and eyes to change us. God, there are some idols that we serve that we don't even recognize. We're so sinful, we don't even see it. We're blind to it. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes through a scripture that we read, a friend that we have, something our spouse says, something we experience, something our kids say. Lord, I pray that we would step out of this place today beginning to think about everything as worship, to destroy the buckets that we have created in our mind and realize that every single day, every second of the day is a moment of worship and an opportunity to respond to you appropriately. Change our hearts today, Lord. Let those that may not know it know that their only hope is in Jesus. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.